0: morning, church. Merry Christmas. We are getting there. Sometimes when you want to talk about a subject, you talk about the opposite. And for each of these Sundays, I've been sharing a Christmas message with the Christmas story. And this is perhaps no different, but it, it's going to start out in a different way. And it kind of ties in with me that something it's something that I have noticed in our culture for a while now and I think it's time perhaps to address it in all of our lives and to be willing to stop and step back and take a look at the subject of peace. By Christmas Eve in 1941, World War I was well underway. It was freezing cold in Europe. And trenches on both sides were there. And France and Britain and Germany and Belgium were involved in this conflict. On the Eastern Front, on the Western Front, the war had no end in sight. Trenches in some places were only about a hundred feet apart. So they were really pretty close because from the back wall to that back wall is about 100 feet. And in the middle was no man's land. And no man's land was littered with dead bodies. And to step into it meant instant death. But an amazing thing happened on Christmas Eve 1914 in Europe. See, this whole thing started about 104 years ago when Franz Ferdinand, this guy, was assassinated. He was shot and killed. He wasn't even a king or a president or a leader of a nation. He was a duke, an archduke. And Austria assumed that Serbia is the one who assassinated him. We weren't even sure. Didn't, wasn't even, didn't even know if that was the case or not. But it started a sequence. And I want you to look at this sequence with me because Austria declared war on Serbia. And then almost immediately, Russia declared war on their friend's Uh, defending their friends Austria. And and then, very quickly, Germany declared war on Russia. And then France declared war on Germany. And then right after that, Germany declared war on Belgium. And the English, Britain, declared war on Germany. And all of this happened within just a few days. It wasn't even a long span. It was a matter of somewhere between two or three days. And all of this happened. Over one man's, started with the spark was with one man's life. And, and the war lasted for four years. And somewhere between 18 and 20 million lives were lost. And the tactic, the main tactic in World War I was trench warfare. You you dug yourself in, and the enemy dug themselves in. And there's a parallel, I believe, to this and some things that are going on in our culture. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, this trench warfare. You establish your position you dig yourself in on your position and you hide in that position and you never come eye to eye with the enemy. You establish your line on what you believe and then you hurl ammo to the person's, the other person's way. This tactic alone is the reason that so many lost their lives in World War I. Over the four years, the battle lines did not move much at all. Almost 20 million people, and the battle lines didn't. In other words, not much was really accomplished. Just a lot of people died. Six months into the war, on Christmas Eve, there was what we refer to as the truce, the Christmas Eve truce, of 1914, somewhere on the Western Front. You see, they they all had, they agreed to stop firing for Christmas Eve, that there was going to be at least a ceasefire and, and no shooting. And somewhere on the Western Front, we're not even sure who. We don't know if it was a British soldier, a French soldier, or a German soldier, but somebody put their gun down and stepped into no man's land. And soon after that, other soldiers came out of their trenches, and they were all meeting together there in no man's land, right in the middle of where the battle line was, and they had no weapon. And they realized something at that moment. Something special happened on that day, because the Germans and the French and the Brits realized that they were all Christians. And they spent time together there. They found common ground. They they celebrated the birth of their Savior. And they together began to talk to each other. And they ate together. And and they told stories together. And they played sports together. And they spent all of Christmas Day and they sang Christmas carols. and, And they together sang Silent Night as the evening came on. And that night changed them. It changed them so much that the very next day, they were not willing to fight. Because you can't shoot and kill someone who you just ate with the night before. And this was so, it affected them so much They recognized that they had more in common than they had differences. It affected them so much that soldiers on both sides had to be moved to different fronts so that they would once again pick up their weapons and begin the battle, so that they would once again work their way to the place where they would, would fire a weapon. It affected them that much. And actually, this, this whole, this whole um, Christmas Eve in 1914 put a whole new rule in place with the military. It was called no fraternization, no getting friendly with the enemy. It's not allowed. The Christmas truce, 1914, I believe in some ways we live in a very Similar time, right now. War is going on in people's hearts. People are entrenched in their positions and, and hurling ammo at people who think differently them. We see it in so much in social media. People fighting and arguing their ideologies. Republicans and Democrats racism, but I see it in marriages, and I see it in family, and I I see it in different parts of the country thinking differently about other parts of our country. Nobody wants to change their position. Nobody wants to do anything about it. And the tension is almost exhausting, and yet it is so clear, and it is out there. And some of us, it's in our families. I don't want to go to Christmas party. Is Uncle Freddie gonna be there? Because if he's gonna be there, I'm not sure I could take that. I think we need to come out of our trenches. I think we need to make this the Christmas truce of 2018. And in all the areas of our lives, some of us it's some of us it's husbands and wives. You know, it affects so much of our culture, our families, our homes. I looked up the word truce. A suspension of the fight. How about that? Let's suspend the fight. I'm mad at you, but but I'm willing to put my weapon down. How does it work? How do we do this? How do we accomplish this? Someone has to take the first step and we we don't, we don't want to do that because you know we're all waiting for the other person and and if we feel if we take the first step i'm not wrong why should i take the first step and politically listen nobody probably nobody in this room well i can think of a couple of exceptions but most of us in this room are probably not as 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 backgrounded in politics as I am. Because politics is, is an outgrowth of, of a gratefulness for a nation that I believe was handed to us by God himself. Because we live in freedoms like no one else in the world. We are privileged like nowhere else in the world. I've traveled off enough to know that. I've been through Europe and all that great. I go to my supermarket, you could probably take all the supermarkets in Amsterdam, put them together, and they won't equal what my supermarket is here. And I've been to South America and third world countries and fifth world countries and places I, when I, look, when I went on mission trips, I came back here nothing but grateful that I lived here. We're, we're privileged, and it's a gift from God. It's sad when we look at what's going on politically in our culture today and, and the fight with the news, and there's so many things. Nancy Pelosi came out just recently, and, and, uh, and she, shared, she shared a process that gave clarity to a lot of us. She says, what we do is we put a story out that we know isn't true, and she didn't mean she, but she said, this is what happens. We put a story out that we know is not true. And that story gets reported. And so other news medias pick up that story and report it. And they say, the the, the AP said such and such. And so they repeat. And this story goes all over the place. And everybody points to it. This story is being, And everybody points to it as though it's truth. But nobody bothers to check out whether it's true or not. But this is a tactic, she says, that is used over and over and over again. And this is going on in our culture. Truce, suspension of the fight, and we don't kind of don't want to do that because we we know we're not wrong. I know I'm not wrong. Or am I? See, and I know what I'm asking here. I'm 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 reaching pretty far, but 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 I believe I believe that in our lives. Here at Camelback, in our families, we don't have to let go of what we believe, but maybe we can let go of the hatred. Maybe we can let go of the almost nasty that we see. There's so much argument going on. It reminds me of, of a couple who, who had an argument going on. And and it escalated. It escalated to the point where now they were giving each other the silent treatment. And I I could have, I could have you raise hands, husbands and wives, and let's see how many of don't do it, but how many of us have done this with our wives? I'll be honest and say that Karen and I have done that. We we've, we've given each other the silent treatment. So. They were at this place, and the silent treatment was going on. They would not talk to each other, because if you talk, you lose. It's over. you lost. And he had a problem. He had an early flight to catch in the morning, and so he did not want to talk to her, so he took a a three-by-five card, and he wrote on this card, please wake me up at 5 a.m. And he put it on her pillow before she went to bed, so she would see it when she went to bed. He woke up the next morning, it was 9 o'clock, he had missed his flight. He was absolutely furious and he jumped out of bed and he noticed a three-by-five card on his little nightstand that said, wake up, it's 5.30. Guys, we are not prepared for that fight. Let's just give it up. We're we're just not going to win on that. How how does this happen? Somebody has got to take the first step. And not only does someone have to take the step, we've got to be willing to drop our weapons and focus on what unites us. Man, we're telling the Christmas story like crazy, and we're talking about peace, hope, and and love, and, and there's a battle going on at home where, Uncle Freddy is, is killing Christmas for everybody, and, and nobody, wants to, nobody wants to be the first to, to deal with it. And so often, we're making the very thing that we believe more important than people. My, my political position is more important than, than a person. We need to focus on what unites us. Yeah, we have differences. Yeah, we need to have political discussions. But it's reached a fervor that is frankly unacceptable and destructive, and millions of people are being affected by it. And we have the opportunity in our lives to at least fix it in our lives to have our positions and have our discussions. And and Dr. Stephen Covey throws an amazing aspect in here. And I've talked about this in the past from time to time because it's great to do in our relationships and our marriage. Dr. Covey says, seek first to understand, then to be understood. Because usually we're in a discussion and and we're firing our ammunition back and forth and, and somebody has to take the first step and just listen. Because you know what happens when you listen? You actually hear. And you hear your spouse. So when there's a discussion on a subject and the temperature is reaching this level, I need to just shut up and shut down and let Karen talk. Because when I do that, I let her actually tell the whole story from her perspective. And when... And when I, when I finish letting her tell the whole story, then I can fire... No, 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 no. What I need to do then is explain back to her what I just heard her say. Because her hearing it from my perspective of hearing her say it may be very different than she was thinking. And together we actually come to a place where we understand each other's perspective. And you know what we usually find out? We have way more in common about that subject than we thought while we were hurling back and forth. But what happens in our culture, it reaches this fervor that it gets nasty, and evil, And we forget that we're all Americans. And we forget that we're all Christians. And we get caught up in that. And we forget that we serve the Lord. And we're celebrating his birth. We forget that he even died for Uncle Freddie. And we take this opportunity, we come together in unity. When when we're willing to do that, when we're willing to focus on what unites us, I believe when we do that, something happens. Because the very heart and nature and spirit of God gets involved in that process. And on that moonlit night in 1914, tough soldiers laid down their weapons. And they ate together and they laughed together and they played games. While war was going on all around them, they focused on what they had in common. Someone has got to take the first step. And we have to be willing to lay down our weapons, focus on what unites us. And when we do that, we will leave changed. They were so changed that, that the authority over them, their military authorities had to take them on both sides of, the, of this war and place them on other battlefronts so that they could work themselves back to the place where once again they could shoot the enemy I pray that we experience truth. I pray that we begin to see it in our culture. And it can happen right here in our Camelback Church family. And it can work its way through our families. We don't give up what we believe. We don't walk away from what we believe is right politically. Maybe we'll stop and find out why we believe that and whether or not we should instead of just listening to our party's talking points or what we see on CNN. Sometimes we just need to shut that stuff off and experience a truce. As a Christian, healing in our lives, healing in our families and in the relationships in our lives. You see, the world approaches this different than the church, we open our Bible. It's, it, there's a different approach than the world. The world wants us to to, to resolve it. Resolution is the word. As a, as, a matter of, as a matter of fact, the phrase is conflict resolution. That, that's how you fix the problem. Conflict resolution. In other words, you keep working it out, and and you see who did what, and you end up declaring a winner and 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 a loser. World War I lasted for four years. It took four years to resolve it, and almost 20 million people died. The Bible has a different idea, a different word. That word is reconciliation. Reconciliation. I, I looked up the definition, to bring back together by bringing the balance to zero. That's what Jesus did for for me. If you accepted Christ as their Savior, that's what he did for you. He brought the balance right back to zero. We didn't discuss my sin. We we didn't take it together and talk about it. He forgave my sin. He forgave me. He took it on himself. No discussion. I just got a do-over right there. Bam. My sins were forgiven. The balance was zero. The debt was paid. And I was reconciled. I don't know if some of you remember this, but we used to have this thing called checkbooks. You'd go to the bank and you'd open up a checking account and they would give you this little box with a stack of checks inside of it and you'd put them in this little folder and you had a little thing there that you could keep track of your checks. And so every, every time you wanted to pay something, you wrote out a check and paid for it and then you wrote it in, in your little ledger that you were keeping. And anytime you put a deposit in your checking account, you would write that down in your checking checkbook. And sometime during the month, you'd get a statement from the bank, which was, was, was their side of what was going on with your money. And then you would look at your checkbook, and that was kind of your side of what was going on with your money. And, and sometimes the two didn't reconcile. And so you actually had to go through the process of figuring out what, what it took to get us to find out where every penny went and went, to get us back to line zero. I had a friend who, who just never was any good at that and used to, let, used to let his checkbook get so bad, he would go open up another checking account at another bank and start the whole process again and just wait till they kind of figured out what they thought he had left and then he would write out a check for that amount and put it into this and just start all over over and over again. Was he could never could get it reconciled. Never could get it to the balance zero. And what God did through Christ is he took our heart and he gave it a zero balance. For Christ, Ephesians chapter 2, Paul just lays this out. He kind of, he makes it so clear. He said, for Christ himself brought peace to us. He united Jews and Gentiles into one people, when he took his own body on the cross. He took people who, did, who were enemies, who believed differently, who did not like each other and for the most part hated each other. They were, and he made them friends. He broke down the wall of hostility that separated us. He did this by ending the system of law with its commandments and regulations. He made peace between Jews and Gentiles by creating in himself one new people from the two groups. And they recognized how much more they had in common than they were different. Verse 16, together as one body, Christ reconciled. Christ reckoned, there's our word, reconciled. It doesn't say Christ took them through conflict resolution. It not say that. He reconciled both groups to God by means of his death on the cross, and our hostility toward each other was put to death. Through Jesus, God brings our balance to zero. And I know that what I'm talking about this morning, what I'm asking is a lot because it means that we have to put our weapon down. And, 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 and you might say to me, but James, you do not know what my husband is like. You do not know what Uncle Freddie did to us. I I don't even think it's and maybe you can't maybe it's not possible for you but you could you could if God was working in your life in a powerful way and I'm here to tell you he wants to work in our lives in powerful ways that's why we celebrate christmas he has already done the most difficult thing in our lives by being willing to be nailed to the cross and lay his life down and become our Savior. You know, it's, it's kind of, it's, there's a culture change that, that we're going through here at Camelback. We're, we're shifting to thinking more about the people who are not yet here than just thinking about us it's a bit of a paradigm shift. It, it, it makes us stop and look at everything we're doing and, and everything going on in our lives and, and recognize once again that Jesus laid the great commission out there and he placed it on our shoulders and, and, and he gave us everything we need to accomplish it and, and he challenged us with it and, and we're recognizing that. And so we're talking more and more about inviting someone. And in my mind, I'm realizing more and more that when I invite someone camelback. I'm 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 not I may be inviting them to to the Christmas Eve event and that's gonna be a blast by the way. It's gonna be really great now because Danny said I can preach for two to three hours. Which means I have to cut my sermon down and make it shorter, right? So it's there are going to be photo opportunities here. There will be cookies, all kinds of stuff. Santa Claus is going to be here. That, pictures with Santa Claus alone will be enough. And we're, we're probably going to have another friend here too. And there will be three locations for photo booths and just, just an absolute great time and a lot of music and kids singing and all kinds of stuff. It, it's, going to be, it's not going to be a service. It's going to be an experience. And I promise not to preach more than 15 minutes. And I really mean it. I, I will. 15 minutes. The invitation is not just to a service or an event. It's really an invitation to a process. See, we know Christ, most of us, and we're in this process of him changing our lives more and more inside of me. This this whole concept of give God a year, man. Give, Give Camelback a year. Give him a year with you being here and get involved in our dream team, and get, get into a life group, and be here on weekend services. And here's, here's what I know. A year from now, you will probably say to me, I didn't think I could, but now I know that I can. Give God the opportunity to do in your life what he wants to do. Make 2019 the year of reconciliation. Let's be intentional this Christmas about our families, about our spouses, about our children, about the people we're in conversation with, maybe about political subjects, but all kinds of subjects. And probably a thought process in your mind was someone who you know this Christmas that this applies to. Are you willing to lay your weapon down and focus on what you have in common and allow God to do something way beyond your wildest dreams? The Christmas story in Luke chapter 2, let me just read a little part of it because it's what we need to be reminded of. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. And it happens today in the town of David. A Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, Christ the Lord. And then suddenly, a company of hosts appeared with the angels praising God and singing glory to God in the highest. In the highest heaven and peace on earth to all of those whom whom his favor rests this christmas time let's not just celebrate christmas let's experience christmas